Hello, and welcome to another episode of the 2030.cloud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN. And this discussion is from the Cloud 2030 January 14th meeting, uh, where we were discussing what happened with the summit. So you hear some wrap up of that. And then we dove into how things are going to go in the future. And uh, especially about halfway in, 30 minutes, we, we really started talking about the disruption and the causes and forces of disruption for the technology set that we're seeing and how incumbents get toppled and changed. And this is going to be the foundation of our next several meetings and topics and discussions where we're really thinking about where are the inflection points and how do we leverage them? Uh, and, and what does it look like as cloud practices become really deeply adopted and then commoditized and decentralized into back into the market and, and put power back into the people who are purchasing that rather than who are owning the resources, if, if we can do that. Please join us. These conversations are open, dot2030.cloud. Uh, I am your host, Rob Hirschfeld. Enjoy this discussion. One of the discussions that I found really fascinating was the security one, because I really and truly believe that CIOs, when they buy this hodgepodge of things, think they're doing the right thing. You know, I just think that it's so complex that's the thing I think is so interesting in, from an infrastructure perspective. Like, I mean, they're obviously allowing these purchases to happen to prevent these risks, but it's the risks are evolving, I guess, so quickly, I guess. I just thought that one was really interesting. You know, Rob, I said, the one thing I would have said from last week is that I found it a bit backwards looking. There's a lot of conversations about why we can't change. Talking about like a Windows NT server that hasn't been booted, rebooted for 10 years um, and the pain of change in that component, that's not a good thing. Um, you know, I lived that at DHL when I got there where they were afraid to reboot their servers. Um, you know, we fixed that, <laughs> right? Um, but in terms of keeping up with the pace of the market and the agility that's going on, um, that was, to me, not a good conversation. And it, we weren't really talking about, you know, what needs to change and how is it possible to change. We were kind of talking about why things can't change and kind of caught up in the minutia of the current stuff as opposed to talking about, you know, what does the next 10 years look like? That, that was kind of my reaction to last week. That's a good point. And in listening to it, I felt the same. We need to move forward. And one of the things that I'm finding looking at all the stuff at CES this week is the world is moving on faster than the discussions around cloud, around edge, around the integration of technology, very much towards the digital thread. And what I've heard from a lot of people and asked a lot of people is where do you sit when it comes to cybersecurity? Whose responsibility is it? And how does that translate into cloud? And how does that translate into edge? And where is a large enterprise supposed to go if you as vendors are promoting all of these devices for convenience? How does that play into the back end? Because ultimately, there's a very, very fine line between our personal lives and our professional lives. 
and somebody's going to have to bridge that gap in a significant way. And I was hoping that part of the summit, as I listened to it kind of after the fact, apologies for not being available, um, was it is a backwards looking view. Dude, Joanne, and I don't mean to some... sound critical. No, no, no. Oh, Do you have oh, I think what I was going to say? Can you guys hear me? Or is yes. Rob just talking over me? Yes. I'm kidding. It's usually me yes. talking over Rob. So yes, yes, yes. Uh, Joanne, do you have some good examples that we could go back and reference? I, I don't know if that's valuable or not, because it'd be interesting to go back and play it back and, and be able to break that down and, and see, you know, what were those conversations? How did they apply or not apply? And then be able to move that forward. I don't know if there's any value in that. I'm just thinking out. You know what? It, it, it actually is a very good idea. However, I would say that what I'm finding more and more is that everything is in situ. Mm -hmm. And if we can't put the forward view in situ to something that may have not been discussed, then it really loses its, its impact mm -hmm. because it doesn't have the right context. I would prefer to see, and it's just a personal preference, of course, is the notion of how do we take all of the subject and move it forward in yes. a way that's compre maybe comprehensive, but also in a way that follows a path that anybody else could follow. Yep, I that's agree 100%. Our value proposition collectively as thought leaders. Yeah, it, just Larry, just, I mean, I, I'm working with it. I can't mention names. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> of course, but I, I can't I can't kind of describe um, the scenario where they, they are a, a large consulting company, you would know. Um, and, you know, their, their security practice, you know, what, what happens is people put these per perimeter security devices in. Right. And, and they don't start with security um, on day one. And so a good chunk of their practice is going in after there's been a breach. Yep. Yeah, and then identifying the processes that need to happen. And that's like almost every customer they talk to. Yep. So you're buying kind of the Band-Aid at the perimeter. Most of these security threats start internally. Um, yep. And you're not really starting with it, you know, at the software development uh, process where it needs to start. And I think it's a pretty good example of where it's an afterthought as opposed to, you know, kind of a first-class citizen of the entire software delivery lifecycle. Yep. And that's a good point because we did touch on that, you know, looking at security day zero versus after the fact. And that that is it's just shocking to me that 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 is still a thing. But to Joanne, to your point, we need to, uh, you know, we need to have these conversations on moving the needle forward and not look these these vendors. And I keep going back to this whole thing on vendors and I'm not going to call it vendors. They're doing a terrible job. I mean, it, you know, I speak up occasionally of when I can. Um, Tim, you're involved in some of the same events that I am as well. Um, and these, these conversations, you know, with tech field day and things like that. And I can't stress it enough with these vendors. I'm like, you guys are doing a disservice to the whole industry, but I'm one voice to, 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 to nothing. I've got nothing so, to say. So why, why are the vendors doing allegiances to the shareholders, not, yeah. not the public. And that's the problem. Can, can exactly. I just, I, this, this is a theme we say over and over again. Can you put a, just a point on that? Like, what are they doing that's a disservice? Just well, I mean, going. Dev Dev actually was going there. Is it, it's all about revenue, right? The whole the whole revenue yeah. is based on <laughs> on backward thinking versus forward thinking. 
and the, yeah. the the I can't I can't I can't blame okay. them in one sense, but I'll also it frustrates me kind of to Joanne where she was going, um, you know, as well as John. We've got to move forward. We've got to take these practices that, you know, these things are not new. There are new practices, but being being able to move them forward as a collective group or a collective industry or however we want to look at that is very important. I mean, especially over the last few, I mean, just what we've seen just in the last two weeks, um, just right. in to some sense. So you can only, you can only account for what you can conceive. And yeah. um, I, I go back to gosh, nine 11, we moved NASDAQ in a weekend and we were taking all these different situations into, uh, into none of which, came true, um, but we didn't think there would be planes flying into buildings either. Um, there's just some, only so much that you can account for. I do agree that you do need to, to press on. You got to move forward, um, but you can't ignore the past because those things tend to repeat themselves. We've all, we've all heard that. Um, great discussion though, great discussion. But so how do we move them forward? Like how do we break those barriers? It's, it's all about motivation. What, what motivates these vendors? What, what motivates them? And right, right now it's shareholder value. And so, until we change that perception, you know, it's, you know, their allegiance to the shareholders. So we're still, Actually, talking, about, we're still talking about security vendors, right? Yeah. Well, I yeah, think I mean, vendors in general. I mean, vendors I don't, in general, yeah. it's, it's easy to, to target um, the vendors when we say vendors. It's much harder to target the vendors when we say, security company X, Y, or Z, right? None of, right. it's not as if all of the security vendors got together and said, how do we confuse the customer uh, in order for us to sell more stuff? Because at the same uh, side of the coin, you talk to any one of the security providers, any one of the companies selling Kubernetes software, any one of the companies selling something to do with containers, and every one of them will tell you they don't even know how to get their voice heard because every other website looks exactly like theirs, even if the company yeah. does different stuff. So it's not, the vendor per se, it's the inability of the customer to have a common voice as to how to move the, must, the, the market forward. In fact, Tim um, uh, was involved uh, way back when, in 2008, when I founded Data Center Pulse with my brother-in-law. The primary reason, the initial primary single line reason for founding Data Center Pulse was to provide the data center customer with a voice. Because independently, it was like saying, oh yeah, you're a human, they're only lions. Yeah, but there are 10 of them and they're all in the same room with me. Yep. How am I supposed to solve that problem? On the other hand, if there were a thousand of you and there were 10 lions, you might actually win that battle for negotiations, for, for defining what it is you want from those lions. Um, but realistically, uh, while we didn't solve the problem, we certainly, I believe, moved the needle forward a little bit in helping the customer to understand the best way to get to what they needed, not what the vendors would define for them. Right. And so, Mars, I'm sorry, go keep going. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, to some degree, I believe that maybe uh, an activity like that is necessary in the security space. Do you think that in, in this, I mean, it sounds ridiculous. I'm even asking this question because this is the thing that I, I, I like to talk about these things, right? Is don't accept the status quo from these vendors because, you know, we, we keep, I hear it all the time, but it's fine because it's X, because it's vendor Y. It's this vendor. We accept it. You know, it's, it's, it's a 
you know, it's, we just allow ourselves to, to accept the norm versus push back, ask the questions. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Why do you, and I, and I come from, from even from a security perspective, I spent a couple of years in R and D at a antivirus company and I saw a lot of this stuff and it was, you know, it was interesting to see the back end kind of the, what moved the needle forward, right. Versus what was the acceptable thing, right. What, a, what did people just agree to accept versus, Hey, ask the questions. Why do we do this a certain way? Right. So this is a couple of weeks back. I'd kind of suggested, you know, this is where the, the Porter's five forces comes in, right. You're trying to understand the relationship between the vendors and the suppliers and what needs to change and how you craft that so that you shift it. So the conversation was, you know, Parler gets shut down by AWS. What what would have made that um, easy for them to shift that to a more neutral platform? Probably not in the U.S. for them. Right. And and so how do you do that? So I, I brought up the topic like workload portability. Is it easy to move from cloud A to cloud B? Right. That shifts power. So what are the things you need to do so that. You, you have more control over your destiny. And, you know, it, it was, you know, that's an analysis that has many facets to it. Mark mentioned one, right? How do you build the community in the, the consumer side of those pieces too? But there's other facets to it one could craft if you want to shift that. Because every product meeting I've ever sat in has, you know, how do we solve the customer problem? How do we create entanglement? You know, those two go hand in hand. See, I come at it from a different perspective. I've been waving this flag in the electronics industry on the manufacturing side for three years. Finally, it's got momentum to the point that they realize they have to do something. I Clearly a difference between hardware and software, but if you get the industry, whether it's semicons or PCB, PCA, whatever, whatever the genre of technology, and you carry that from early ideation and engineering, whether it's at Intel or anywhere else, all the way through to the point where software does become involved, then you have a collective behind it that says, we have a really strong business need to do this, not only for shareholder value, but because there was legislation just passed in your country, right? I mean, the House just passed a, a bill requiring it. Um, NIST is in the process of supposedly delivering it I've looked at the NIST framework. I work with NIST on a regular basis. I'm not overly impressed, but that's a side discussion. But from that perspective, if the collective thought leaders that are more business technology oriented or advise enterprise leadership on how to do these things and bring the software vendors along with them, you will see change, not only from compliance, governance, and regula regulatory requirement, around the world, but just generally because customers will onboard with that. They want customer value, not shareholder value. What I didn't get out of that is what was the different point of view? You, you talked to the hardware side, right? But but really you're talking about, it sounds like standardization, like they well, attempt to is, do with WP. Well, it is standardization. I mean, uh, coming at it from the different side is coming at it from hardware towards software versus software towards hardware. Right. But the thrust of that was you're, you're advocating for more standardization of the stack, correct? Well, you can standardize from zero to eight. It doesn't matter. It's a question of how do you build the momentum to make the change happen? I chose to do it from the 
uh, hardware side because I'm very involved in that industry and have been for 20 years. Um, it's it's getting the momentum to make the change happen was really my argument. Standardization and compliance to regulation is based. The focus on that is, has always been part of the problem, not the solution. Um, the biggest, for me, the biggest thing about security is that you want to focus on the end result more than anything. You don't really, so what a lot of people care about right now is, okay, we're PCI compliant. We are following this huge 200 uh, page rules about how we follow the follow the regulations to, for best practices for following how, how to deal with security, but the lawyers wrote up. It's, it's there's a whole entire, and basically you, you have the, the audit firms and the consultants all working on the, on how to deal with security. That's why there's so many these firms there's try to meet certain requirements. Basically, when people complain about the vendors, the vendors are trying, when people buy the security software, a lot of the products that have been bought are being bought because it meets a specific need. The need is to meet a specific regulatory requirement, not because it actually solves a problem. And that's basically, that's why we are where we are. It's not because there was that a real technology need. So we have to go back to basics. It's right. What, so I guess, what are we solving for and not trying to to have uh, a standard? So I guess, let, not, me, let me restate the, sorry, sorry. this sorry, be two ahead. seconds. Let me restate the question. I was really trying to get at what is the change that's required? And I wasn't necessarily suggesting standards were it. Nor am I. I'm looking Wait. for what protects the end user consumer, whether it's on the consumer side device or the enterprise back office or the grid. However, you're gonna to get to the solution, you need everybody on the same page. How you do that from my experience has been getting a number of different kinds of stakeholders to buy into the idea that you need to find a solution to a problem, that the problem exists, that it's widespread. We and have business drivers that will allow the technology companies to focus on, hey, we have to get on board, whatever that collective ideology is for a solution, a solution has to be found. It'll I never be perfect. It'll never satisfy everybody, but at least you're giving um, the consumer, the customer, the stakeholder, the shareholder, some even a straw man to shoot at. We all agree this is a problem. I'm not sure that's true though. And so awesome. let me let me explain. So I think from a from a customer standpoint, that's probably true, right? Having the ability to to move between different services and having that kind of ubiquitous access, if you will. Um, but I'm not sure that the incentive is there for for the other stakeholders that are involved. I mean, there's, there is an advantage that Amazon or Microsoft or Google have, for example, or Alibaba, based on uh, geo access, based on uh, higher level services, you know, beyond the compute storage network, you know, the, the fundamental components go above that. 
um, there's a unique value proposition that each of those have. And, and I'm not, it's not clear to me that there is an incentive for them to create uh, ubiquitous switching capability or lowering that switching cost from them to their competition. That's just one of many stakeholders, of course. I see your point from a customer standpoint. I'm not sure that that, that is shared though. I think look at OEM as an example, right? I think it depends upon your perspective, right? So OEM, whether you like it or not, is trying to standardize the interfaces and it's being led by Microsoft and Alibaba because there's incentive for those two competitors to be able to ship workloads off of AWS. So I think it's it's very much in the the where you sit in the spectrum of the competitive uh, marketplace as to whether you think it's a good thing or a bad thing. And what, does, what does compliance bring you? So I, I guess in, that's the other situations. To, There's got to be some reward for compliance from an end user perspective. I guess that's the other piece. Is I'm I'm very much against um, regulatory compliance, um, and the reason why is because on the surface, theoretically, it may seem like a good solution, but it is a very broad stroke to try and address a very specific challenge. And then you complicate that with the fact that the people who are putting that legislation in place are incredibly ignorant to the ins and outs of it. And I don't mean ignorant as in stupid, I mean ignorant of, they're just not experienced in this space. And so you're asking someone that, that doesn't have experience to essentially put together legislation that we'll all have to abide to. I mean, case in point, something that is less um, complicated, but still is a great example of this that came up is California's AB5, Assembly Bill 5, that um, went after the ride sharing companies. And the intent was to create um, support for the, the folks that are working for ride sharing companies. But the problem is it pulled in a lot of other businesses, freelance businesses into the mix because it was using that broad stroke. Apply that into data and technology. And if this goes into cybersecurity, I mean, I don't know how many of you remember, but way back when there used to be laws on the books that required that you had to use, you had to essentially dumb down encryption if you're going internationally so that the government could uh, tap into those, those circuits if needed. Um, Again, I just think we have to be really careful about, you know, what we throw out here and how the stakeholders are impacted accordingly. I, I, I don't disagree with you. I, sorry if I just interrupted sure, sure. someone else. Um, I just want to get this out. Um, I don't disagree with you. That's part of the reason that I'm not pleased with the fact that there was legislation passed in your country that is then being, you know, implemented and executed by a collective still under government control. However, that doesn't make the situation less of an issue for everybody else. I mean, we have a digital charter here, which which applies to privacy, security, et cetera, et cetera. If you're gonna face an issue of regulatory requirement going forward, why not start talking and looking around how you can influence how that broad stroke gets to be done there is yeah. always 
comment from the rest of the world. There is always an opportunity to be involved with it in some way or to influence it. Yep. But positionally speaking, and you're right. So, but even even within the tech companies, and and I know this is kind of heading us down a rabbit hole, so I don't want to go too far here, but just to add some perspective, there are a number of companies, large enterprise uh, technology companies that I'm working with that are trying to educate legislators here in the US um, on some of these technology challenges. Number one, to try and avoid kind of the heavy handed legislation being applied as, a, as that broad stroke. But then the second piece is to help kind of provide a degree of clarity um, so that they understand what the issues are rather than just what the, the public social media party line is. Um, sure. That, that is happening, but I will say even they are struggling to be able to communicate it. So what does it say that you have these, these very well um, spoken technology companies struggling to be able to effectively communicate it when you put into context that they're trying to do that with customers, they're trying to do that with OEMs, ISVs, SIs, the list goes on. Does, does that mean, I mean, part of this could be that the technology is still unsettled. And I mean, one of the questions, so so when I look at, I'm, I'm listening to this, I'm still trying to think of how we pull this into a 2030 frame, because I, these are like critical things for us to discuss. And right, the feedback we had 10 minutes ago was, and we want to make make sure we're looking forward on this. Um, and yet, the thing I keep hearing is nothing works fits together. Like we're building a whole bunch of tech. I mean, Mark just popped back in and video, and I'm I'm looking at him, and I'm like, we're talking about edge, and edge is this junk pile of random, 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 all new, shiny, but you know, random stuff. Nothing fits together. There's no market incentives to earlier points to make things fit together. Is it because our market incentives don't want things to fit together? Or is it because our technology stack is still evolving really quickly? But Rob, I think yeah. one of the questions, just real quick, Mark, one of the questions I would have to that, and maybe yeah. Mark can, can pick this up, which is, do you need that in order to be successful? And I would argue, I don't think you do from a customer standpoint. I, this, and this to me is where I, I put a 10 year focus hat on it. And you know, if, if you have portability, which we brought up, if you have, you know, hey, I wrote technology and I can count on it. You know, I'm not worried about my plugs not working in the future. Although I should be because frankly, we're switching everything being USB powered. And in the future, I'm gonna have USB plugs instead of 220 sockets um and and so but i don't worry about that right that has a that's had a 50 year plus run um and it was great for innovation and it meant that we created real marketplaces on on these things um so but, if you yeah. take what joanne in some way started the whole thing with which was ces you've got mm -hmm your homebrew hackers, you've got your, your small time inventors just rolling all their ideas out there with little to no regards to what the large infrastructure stuff is going on. And this is actually how it's always been. You've got 
people that need the huge infrastructure that we tend to deal with on a regular basis. But the innovation that's forward looking that's gonna break things are those little guys at CES. And how do we keep from getting broken? But it's, it's somewhat a market evolution issue, right? Edge is new, right? It, it's, it's in the very early adoption cycle, right? There's not a lot of good use cases. People are gonna experiment and try and figure out what works, right? That's very different, for example, from banking or healthcare. Exactly. So I don't, I wouldn't start with, I would not start with edge as a good example. Like you're better off picking something more mainstream. And then it's still back to the question of, okay, so what's the state today? What do we want it to look like? And then what changes do you make to get to where you want it to be? Yeah. I mean, uh, to, to John's point, I don't, um, I, I know what answer I'd like to give relative to edge. Um, but I don't know that anything is actually wrong in the edge market right now, just that being in the edge market, um, most of us find ourselves in a position of, of at some level of, of wanting to or feeling like we need to educate the potential consumer and in some cases, even some partners. Um, and uh, that's not necessarily a market problem so much as it is uh, as vendors, we have to decide whether the market is ready for us uh, because, you know, historically speaking, if I'm advising a startup and they're constantly having to educate the customer on their product, then um, they're, they're in for a tough road normally. I mean, uh, Rob and I have had this conversation, you know, 50 times in the last five years um, that we've worked together. Uh, so I, I don't know that anything is really wrong per se, but that being said, um, if anybody is interested and there is uh, Mr. Cohen right there, um, you know, we're looking at ways to, to try to bring uh, a better focus on the edge market as an opportunity space. Uh, because the, the, at least I believe, and I could be wrong, but I believe that there are very few players in the edge market that can afford to spend money, um, uh, you know, like a, like a, um, a, a drug dealer, um, you know, at a casino uh, other than, you know, Amazon and Microsoft and Google and a couple of others. And um, even at their scale, they're not necessarily guaranteeing a market, putting the money they are into advertising. So how do we as smaller organizations uh, create a framework of supply yeah. to educate the customer on the best ways to uh, approach the market? And uh, I don't know whether that'll work or not, but the, the, to me, if the worst thing that happens is we actually save as a group some money on marketing, um, uh, then that's the worst thing that happens. Uh, if the, you know, the best thing that happens is we potentially get a lot more value out of our marketing time and dollar and focus um, and give the customer a, a, a kind of entry point into the market based on the combination of opportunities provided. I, but I, I actually think the negative scenarios are much more grim than that, Mark. I, I think that um, the, that the cost of connecting things together, if you're, and this, this to me is a legislative problem. Also, it's a standards problem. It's a customer power problem that right now we're, to me, 
we're seeing one of the scenarios that we're seeing in the future is these 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 very big companies having the market power basically to create you know siloed wall, walled gardens um, because things don't work together otherwise in market the customers aren't demanding it and we end up with a case where the only way you get things to work is to stay within your silo. But Rob, you're you're saying that as if it's a bad thing. Why is it a bad? Why is that a bad thing? If the customers aren't demanding it, why is that a bad thing? Because uh, what happens when they do demand it? Then they don't okay. have market power. But, but they're not demanding it. Sorry for being what late. What happens when the dam breaks? <laughs> Literally. Are, are you guys sorry? Sorry for being late. Are you guys talking about the you know the scenario by which you know private platforms create the rules and dictate the economics and that kind of stuff like what sorry interestingly we got back there without going through the politics of the day but um which was it, so it was not my intention to get back, step back there but i think that that is an underlying issue with 20 so they're right there's a there's like a fork in the road in all of these scenario graphs that, that i keep thinking are going to be useful for us to to write down and one of the scenarios is the mammoth players get more mammoth right and and Tim's exactly right. We we invest, Joanne. You're you're saying the same thing. We get we in, you know th those become the the way we do things, and they they the only way we do things. Um, or there's a fork that says we continue to have ecosystems of more competitive competitive infrastructure plays. So I th I think the um, so so things are that way until they're not, basically. And so I agree with um, the analogy. Uh, uh, and and really, I mean, the market's going to decide that. As far as I'm like, I mean, the the, econ the, the market is going to decide um, whether or not you know uh, oligopolies and walled gardens um, are are what what makes sense. Right. So, so just to sort of add, oh, sorry about that. Just to sort of add on that, you like, I guess I have a, a propensity much more to action and sitting than sort of philosophizing about it. And I just continue to sit here and think, you know, there's going to be some startup that's going to be awesome and will blow the wheels off of all of this. Um, and, and I mean, I guess that's the way that I always think about these things, but I think that. I, I think we're not. I, I think there's a room for startups to come in and just blow all this up if we there, want it. There to. always, there always is. There always is. If there wasn't, I certainly held. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be doing this. There always is. So it's just that just by being a startup and being plucky and being agile doesn't mean shit until you actually can legitimately disrupt a market. If you can, and that's a very rare, perfect storm for that to actually happen. Um, and that's the only way. That's the only way it happens. Like you know, we wouldn't. You know, I would hazard a guess that a lot of people on this call are using Apple's phone product in 2004 and 2005. There's no way that I thought that I would ever, I, I mean, I refused to give up my physical keyboard. Okay. I refused. And, and, and listen, not only that, I'm, I, I, you guys know this, I'm Canadian. There's no way I would go away from rim. Okay. I was born and raised in Waterloo, <laughs> Ontario, Canada. No way. That would be sacrilege for me to give up my Blackberry. Okay. But I did, I did because the market was disrupted. The market was disrupted. And so, and it was a very, very shrewd play. I mean, they, you know, Apple, even though Apple was a legitimately large company, it took down a massively entrenched incumbent because not because, not because, you know, oh, the, the government decided or because, you know, regulations 
dispelled something, it's because the market spoke, right? Uh, Apple built a better, a better product and a better innovation. They realized that it wasn't about the device, it was about the content. Big revelation. Now, retrospectively, it was like, oh my God, that was obvious, but it wasn't to us in 2005. It was not obvious. So maybe another way of, of talking about this is what, what's the pain caused for enterprises by having different silos like those components? Like the, the average enterprise has five different cloud vendors. What, what does that do to operational efficiency and cost? So I, what, I, what I would argue or what I would, what I would suggest is that um, you know, on the, on the technology S-curve and I'm, I'm you know, in a Everett Rogers-esque S-curve uh, sprinkled with a little bit of Simon Wardley, what, you, what you'll see is, is you know, what, what Simon gave us is the ability to phase gate the Everett Rogers S-curve, okay? So we can actually now see and predict and, and characterize technology uh, evolution you know, on the spot in real time, okay? And that's a very useful tool. It's a very useful thing to, to have at your, at your disposal because when you look at where technologies are on that evolutionary S-curve, the, the vertical axis is really the abstraction away of complexity and cost. So there's a necessity, there is an absolute necessity for technology to become cheaper and easier to use. Otherwise it will die on the vine. And the walled garden that, you know, that is, was invented by companies like IBM is the antithesis of that. They try and resist that at all costs, okay? And, and if there is a technology that comes along and it says, yeah, it, this, is, this is gonna be a foundation to business, you can't live without it. This is the electricity of our era, whatever, then those, that's, the, that's gonna be the source of disruption is the drive down the cost and the complexity, abstract the complexity and drive down the cost, which will be resisted by the margin seeking publicly traded monoliths, right? Um, at, at every turn. So I, I, I see personally, I see the edge as that battleground. I see because we've done the math and we've said there's no effing way that a single balance sheet will be able to generate the kinds of, of margin that would be necessary to put compute everywhere within a thousand feet of a connected thing or connected machine or device. And if they could, the customer wouldn't pay it because it needs to be so ubiquitous and so easy to use that, you know, again, this needs to be Raspberry Pi simple and cheap, okay? Compute needs to go there. And, and the only way that that's going to happen, at least from our standpoint, and then the way I view the market, okay? I mean, this isn't a vendor approach. This is my own observation of the market. The only way that that happens is if you have a greater number of participants in a market. The, avail the availability, the, the universality of supply is going to drive down the cost of delivering these services that are necessary for the next generation of the internet. So I think it's, I think it's, I think the market will speak about this and the market, the market is going to basically say to the incumbent entrenched platforms and, and uh, you know, infrastructure incumbents, I'm sorry, but your model doesn't work in the new, in the new world. Why? I, I agree. Was I was just having a, sorry guys, um, I was just having a conversation about this uh, yesterday um, with another startup that was in the, in the energy space and we were talking about energy and sustainability at the edge and, and the potential growth and size and everything. And, and to, uh, I think this is to um, John's point, if you consider what some have said, uh, like uh, Michael Dell saying that edge will be 100 times 
what um, public cloud is, is that if, if you're a historian of um, IT evolution at all, then uh, you should be able to extrapolate from that, that whether Dell meant it or not, the real opportunity is that there is the potential for edge to have 100 times more usage opportunities and consumption opportunities than public cloud, but not that the infrastructure that enables edge would be 100 times what public cloud is, because that's not sustainable. The market doesn't support extending as to John's, again, I think this is to John's point, the market doesn't uh, um, support taking a rubber band and extending existing strategies for supplying infrastructure, existing efficiency levels on power delivery and CPU usage, existing assumptions around what requires a server to be a server. The market doesn't support that at the kind of scale and distributed utilization that Edge will need. So over the next five to 10 years, our ability to not only drive down significantly the cost of the equipment used to enable the edge, but to almost eliminate the risk of stranded capacity uh, is, is paramount to us getting to that. So, you know, my perspective is we might be two or three times infrastructure wise, four times infrastructure wise, what public cloud is in 10 years, but utilization might be 15 or 20 times globally at the edge, what public cloud utilization is. Interesting, Mark, I love what you're saying. Um, although I'm not sure I agree on the stranded capacity thing. Um, let me, but let me, it, this is worth going through because we're really talking about the, the, the idea that technology is gonna be even more essential into our daily lives, I think, is a given we all we all agree to that and it's going to have profound implications and it's going to require a much bigger build out of, of infrastructure than we have um how we do it i'm not so worried about but what we're sort of saying is that can't be it has to be a decentralized model for us to jump that s curve if i'm understanding john part of i think your point i think so so i i i truly believe it needs to be decentralized and and so it's not it's not it's not about it's not just about technology delivery although it, it, it is to some degree because proximity is going to matter in in the fourth internet okay proximity of pro proximity of computers and storage is going to matter a great deal um but it's it's bigger than that it's bigger than that in the sense that you know, centralization, centralization works. I mean, it, it absolutely works. Microsoft, Google, IBM, uh, Amazon, they've all built centralized businesses. And I, I'm a huge consumer of Amazon and Amazon Web Services, always have been. It works. The problem about centralization isn't about technology, it's about the concentration of power. Okay, and this is, uh, so I've had long arguments with Sanjeet Chowdhury who wrote the Platform Revolution. And I said, yeah, you've characterized the model right, but you're missing the point about what the negative side is, the other side of the knife edge. And the other side of the knife edge is when you have a private business on the internet, like an Amazon Web Services or a Google or, a, or a, um, an Apple or what have you, and it's a centralized business and they own the, the right to make the rules, everybody that attempts to build a business on that platform is taking a massive risk I made that business, I made that mistake one time in my career, one time and I'll never do it again. I built the business 
that created a lot of revenue and a lot of opportunity on one company's platform. And then that company changed their rules and it, excuse my language, but it fucked me. It fucked my business completely. Mm -hmm. And it was no, no fault of my own. Somebody decided to shut off an API that I depended on. Okay. And that one thing crushed me. I will never make that. And so my advice to ISVs that are trying to build for the next generation of the internet is think very carefully before you hit your wagon to a centralized platform. That, that's, that's the guidance. And I believe also that's the, that's the wedge in the fulcrum that's gonna change the market dynamic as, as we evolve you know, uh, you know, in the next generation of the internet. Like what, what's gonna take down this concept of a handful of companies making all these decisions is the existence of something else. That's what's gonna do it. A better way. John, I don't, I don't disagree with you. And I mean, this is one of the top reasons why I hear enterprises holding back on Google from a cloud perspective is that they will deprecate services in a relatively moment's notice and kind of leave you high and dry. Um, and generally speaking, enterprises can't move that quickly like a, like a startup could. Um, and so, but I guess the, the thing I would counter that with is, is in suggesting that anytime you choose a vendor, whether it's a data center vendor, whether it's a um, hardware vendor, an OEM like Dell or HPE, whether it's a software vendor, you run that risk, right? Mm -hmm. Even something that you might say is stable as Salesforce, um, you run that risk, you run that, that very risk. And that's just part of the cost of doing business. Um, now, the thing that I will say is you have to decide where it makes sense to do that and how risky it could be for your organization, like you stated, right? So that if they did make a change, then, okay, what, what's our, what's our game plan here? Um, but this is, this feels more like this is just the cost of doing business um, and the risk that we have to, we have to manage. I'm not sure how, how one would necessarily resolve that issue. Yeah, I, today, today, I don't think there is a, there's not a lot of choice in the matter, right? So, you know, you're going, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're deciding between three to four highly centralized monolithic platforms. You so, know, so luck. is this, so is this really then, so I get you, but is this then, you know, as I kind of think about the, the conversation and listen to everyone's comments, is this really one where maybe we should focus on those things in which we can control or can uh, influence as opposed to those things that we can't? Because I feel like this is one of those things that I don't, I don't see how this group changes that. I mean, that's, that's a customer driven. I think, I think I actually think this, on the whole. I, I think this group actually is, is, can be monumental in helping to change that, quite frankly. I, I don't agree. Well, let me just I, I, I just wanted to say something with regard to Tim's comment. Sorry, John, if I jumped in front no, of no, you. Go for it. Uh, it, it seems to me, and some of you know this and some of you do not, I spent 22 years being an enterprise CIO for multinationals, where we're talking 30, 20, 30 operating companies under a single parent. And you know, the rule of thumb coming from that perspective, and I'm not saying that it's everyone's perspective, is, you know, you get into this risk reward category where you start looking at what's my plan B, what's my plan C, what's my plan D, 
how many FTEs is it going to take me to operationalize or implement my plan B when I've already gone down the road with a plan A? And doing that for something like SAP, for example, or a big ERP system of another brand is huge. You spend a lot of time going down that road. And I think the same inflection point is coming when it comes to cloud and cloud services, edge and, and any variety of edge. You know, Mark and I have had discussions about private cloud and, and sharing pl private cloud with your you know, top three suppliers and your top three customers and how that would all work out and how you could really do that as one way of, of, of um, uh, making your plan B. Because this notion of walled garden, and if you guys recall back to a few months ago when there was this big discussion about, uh, and I was you know, adamant that you cannot use certain cloud services if you want to use things like MQTT and whatever, whatever. And a lot of you were like, where, where the hell are you coming from? The idea is it's going to be the same thing. You're going to have large, large corporations that are market drivers that are not usually vocal that will start speaking out about these ecosystem type plays because it doesn't fit their model of ecosystem. Mm. And this is where, you know, technology startups and a lot of folks in the blockchain community are looking at how do we come back and combat this? So I think, this notion is something where we have the opportunity to say, okay, here's a scenario, guys. How do you plan for it? How do you deal with it? How do you mitigate the risk? Where are the best places to go? Whether it's uh, an online whiteboard or something else, that is future forward. And so, sorry Joanne, for sounding a little adamant. No, I like where you're going. And I think, um, and I'm not 100% sure. So I'm going to say what I think where you're going is translating to where my rub is in the market as far as cloud services and things like that. So if I'm not in line with you, I want to step back and let somebody else sure. speak. So one of the things that, that I keep talking about as well, one of the pain points that I see, and again, this goes back to a comment I made back on the, um, when we had the event a couple of weeks ago, I made the, the comment of cloud is making people stupid. I know you, Tim, you made a comment that you had a better word for stupid, but, you know, Rob, I made that comment again yesterday. And John, I think you were hitting on something too, and this is where I'm going with this, is are we consuming these cloud services? Let's say that, let's use Redis as an example of a, of a consumable thing in cloud. When John's building his application, he may, want, may not want to invest the time to instantiate his own Redis cluster, things like that. He'll consume that service, locking himself into AWS or whoever that cloud is. This goes back to tech debt and things like that, right? I'm saying, yeah. are we doing a disservice to ourselves in our business by taking that model rather than investing the time to actually say, hey, I'm going to consume AWS as I would any other compute. And I'm going to make it into this thing. So if I need to go to Azure or Google or Alibaba or or on-prem, my process is the same across the board. Yeah. That way, yeah. I control it. So that, Larry, yes. Larry, I, I think I think you know again as as technologists, um, you know it. You know our our daily decisions are often about trade-offs. Okay, and you know if you uh, if you built web services 
before 2005, okay, you were willing to make the trade-off for the simplicity and scalability of Amazon Web Services. You were, you were willing to trade off the lock-in, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, 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 I'm putting myself at risk that my business is gonna be affected by the decisions of a platform company. Okay, yep. Yep. I'm willing to do that for the trade-offs. The next batch of trade-offs. So that's already done and dusted. We're already there. We're already, like. The idea of cloud services it ain't going away. Like we are never going back to, thank God, we're never going back to uh, the way that we would we would we would write applications and provision uh, code uh, prior to 2005. The next trade-off that's coming up is is going to be around the uh, the cost benefit of remaining with a centralized structure or a or moving or migrating to a decentralized structure and you know there's a there's a um now a a litany of of um of, of evidence um as to why you know the, the next round of developers that are considering building applications will have a market decision to make and and you know i think it I, it's I think it's that's why I said the opportunity for all of us to be a part of that transformation and be involved in that transformation, whether it's advising customers or whether it's building something for customers, is 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 super significant. We're going to play a huge role in all of that. Yeah, right. So, really so, so two wait, very hold, different hold things. on, I need to. I'm, I'm watching the yeah. clock because. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going to mute. It's a multi-week process. The the I, I think we have we have gone really far in this to a concrete inflection point with market change and, and something specific. Um, and I would suggest that next week we pick up here um, about, about what this looks like and then start trying to you know, write down and take some notes about what some of these scenarios are. If, if I, I think there's two very different things that were just said, right? And, and you know, one is, you know, if there was a, a uh, reliable Redis instance that you could take off the shelf that provided the equal quality you got out of AWS, your switching cost is very low. So one is implement it myself versus take it from a cloud provider and suffer with the lock-in that provides. But the second thing thematically, when you keep talking about the, the distributed nature of these things, there, there's a whole technology stack that doesn't exist to do that. There's a whole bunch of problems that haven't been even remotely closely attempted to solve yet for true distributed computing that we're talking about in 10 years. And so I, I take those as two very different topics. I, we're going to, we're going to need to tease them apart. I'm not, I'm yeah. not, I don't yeah. think we've gotten to a single answer, but I feel like in this, in this discussion, we have moved us into future topics about what, what will disrupt. I mean, to be very simple, what's going to disrupt the status quo of, of, IT infrastructure, what's going to put to, to a point we keep bringing back, what's going to put power in the customer's hands? Choice, uh, choice always does it. And <laughs> yep. well, so let's, this, this to me is where we're, I think we're, we're getting to something concrete that will, will help, uh, help us frame future discussions. I really do want to talk through what those are. I appreciate everybody's inputs on this. It's been really powerful. Um, and I feel like we did move into the move into a forward-looking posture in this call. So thank you. That's important to me too. All right, everybody. Have Thanks, a good guys. weekend. Take a deep breath. Relax. Have a good one. Exactly. See you guys.